Turn, if you would, to the third chapter of the book of 1 John. Yesterday, I showed off my technical skills. I uh, replaced the heating element in our dryer, and it even works. <laughs> now, I did have one problem. I took off 31 screws to get this thing out, and I don't know what to do with this one. <laughs> I put 30 of them back. Oh, well, it works. Huh? <laughs> I, I was pretty good, though. I got all the wires connected. Anyway, last week, we started a discussion. John is going to give us two evidences of our salvation. Remember from last week's lesson, these are not the causes of our salvation. These are the evidence of our salvation. And we spent last week talking about the first one. We didn't quite make it through last week's lesson, but we'll rush through and finish it. Uh, the first one is righteousness. We are declared righteous by the finished work of Jesus Christ. We receive His righteousness. But as we progress in the Christian life, we should demonstrate that righteousness in our everyday life. The second one is what we're going to talk about today, and that is love. Righteousness and love are evidences of the salvation that is inside of us. They are not the causes, they are the evidence. So, picking up just at some random verse, verse 8, we're going to finish off last week's lesson. And when I say we're going to finish it off, I'm going to read the verses, okay? Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. And we talked about that at length last week. Because the implication seems to be that if I'm a believer, I will not sin. But yet John told us in chapter 1, if we say we don't have any sin, we are a liar and the truth is not in us. So the reality is those who are born of God are going to sin, but it is not going to be the pattern of their life. Open, unconfessed, unrepentant sin is not a sign of salvation. It just isn't. So, on to the next verse. By this is it, it is evident... Who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil? Who, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. And here is the link to today's lesson. Nor is the one who does not love his brother. Next verse. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And that's what we're going to talk about today. There's an easy way to teach this lesson, 
And that is to take this verse and go to the next verse and the next verse and keep on going. But we're not going to do that. We're going to take a little bit of that digression. And we're going to do that for this reason. If you ask people if they're in favor of love, they're all going to raise their hand and say, woohoo, yes, indeed. If you ask them what love means, though, it starts getting a little nebulous. And today we're going to talk about what love is. To do that, there are two things in the scripture that help us understand what love is. We're only going to talk about one of them. The first one, the one we're not going to talk about, is the person of Jesus Christ. If you want to know what love looks like, look at Jesus. He is the example of what love looks like. The second thing we have in our favor, though, is there is an entire chapter on the Bible discussing what love is. Somebody tell me what that chapter is, except Don. Pardon? 1 Corinthians 13. Turn there, if you will, because that's where we're going to spend today's lesson. When Teresa and I do marriage mentoring, we cover that chapter in Ephesians that everybody hates, you know, wives submit to your husband. Oh, shoot. And husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. And I tell the couples that you know, we hate this idea of submission, but we love this idea of love. But I tell them that if we truly understand what the Bible means by love, we probably wouldn't like that one either. Because when you and I think about love, we think about an emotion. I have feelings of love toward Teresa. Woohoo. And you know what? That's a good thing. But that has absolutely nothing to do with what the Bible teaches about love. Well, it has something to do. The emotion is the end result. It is not the cause of the love. Love is looking out for the good of the beloved. Whatever that is, I'm going to look out for the good of the beloved. When we talk about 1 Corinthians 13, normally this is done in the context of marriage. And that's a horrible lesson to teach. Why? Because my wife is sitting up here on the front row. And she knows. And no, I'm not making this up. She knows that when I go through this list, I really stink at some of them. What can I say? But that's not the context we're going to use today. What did 1 John say? Love the brothers. So who are the brothers and the sisters? We'll add that in there. Those are fellow believers. So for today and for next week's lesson, because next week we'll get back to 1 John, we're going to talk about love for believers. We're not going to talk about love for your spouse, although you should do that. 
And we're certainly not going to talk about loving your enemies. How in the world do you do that? We're just going to talk about loving the person sitting on the row with you right now. That's all we're going to talk about. And you're going, how in the world can I do that? Do you know that that person sitting on the row with me voted for... Nope, we're not going to say it. Do you know the person sitting next... Do you know what they do? Do you know that they're really a jerk in disguise? Do you know... And forget... Let's move beyond this row. What about those people at that church down the street? You know that church, right? Those people. We're supposed to love those people? If you believe, and I do, that there is a body of Christ, the body of Christ, the universal church, made up of all those people who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior and are relying on Him for their salvation, they are your brothers and sisters. And you know what? There's a lot of them out there. And you know what? You are supposed to love them. Not just like them, not just tolerate them, not put up with them, much less yell and scream and shout at them. You are supposed to love them. You thought it was hard loving your spouse, (laughs) much less your enemies. And that's what John is telling us in 1 John. Righteousness and love for fellow believers. Those are the indicators, not the causes, the indicators that we have, in fact, been born again. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak with the tongues of men and angels... If I have prophetic powers and understand all mystery and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, you may have noticed I'm cheating here, right? If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, what are all of these things that I just mentioned? In the context of last week's lesson, they are acts of righteousness. Let's say that I could speak in the most eloquent fashion. I could speak in the languages of all humanity. I could speak like an angel. That would be cool. What if I had enough faith that I could say to that mountain, why don't you move over there? And it did it. What if I gave away everything I had? What if I even gave my body and died for the faith? Wouldn't that be great? But what does Paul tell us? But if I don't have love, I gain nothing. 
Let's read it the way it was supposed to be read. If I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I stand up here and teach and I do not do it with love, I'm just a noisy racket. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. You would think I was pretty cool if I could prophesy the future, if I had the faith to move mountains. God says I am nothing. If I, gave away my, if I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gained nothing. Last week's lesson, the first indicator, the first sign, evidence of salvation are acts of righteousness. And Paul here is reminding us, if we do our acts of righteousness in the absence of love... They are worthless. But here's the kicker. If I do my love without the acts of righteousness, it is just sentimentality. I am just playing a game. Jesus is love and Jesus is righteous. God is love and God is righteous. These two cannot be separated. Yet we want to do that. We want to do that every day. So, what in the world is love? Love is patient and kind and does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. Okay. It's a quiz. I don't know what there are, 10 things here. How do you do? Don't ask my wife. It'll get us in trouble. Love is patient. What does it mean to be patient? Come on. What does it mean to be patient? Long suffering. Good old King James word. Suffer long. To be patient implies that the person that you are demonstrating the love to is doing something that you might not really like. But we're patient with them because we know that God is working in their lives to accomplish something. Love is patient. I would like to think I've gotten more patient, but there are times when it just... You just can't help it, right? But love is patient. Love is willing to wait for God to work in the life of the beloved to accomplish God's purpose. Patience implies that the beloved is not doing what you want them to do. 
We're going to have a discussion about that in just a moment. Why did you expect them to do what you wanted them to do anyway? More about that in just a moment. Love is patient and kind. What does it mean to be kind? This side of the room. Come on. Do the best for the other person. Be gracious toward the other person. Thoughtful for the other person. Quiet. <laughs> Love is patient and kind. We know, we know people that are kind. And we know people that are the opposite of kind. Even when they're trying to be nice, they're rather brutal about it, abrupt, whatever word you want to use. Now, let's just stop right here and take a digression in our digression. I once watched a movie one time, and the movie had flashbacks. The flashbacks had flashbacks. This is a digression from the digression. Why aren't we kind? This is going to go through this whole thing because we're going to read this and you're going to say, yeah, I want somebody demonstrating this love toward me. I do. But I'm not sure I want to do this for somebody else. But you know what? This isn't written for the other person. This is written for you. What is it that prevents us from being kind to people? We live in a world, the internet, where we think we have to be forceful. We have to be passionate. We have to yell. We have to scream. How will you know that I'm convinced of my position if I don't think the person who disagrees with me is Hitler? There's actually one of those Murphy Law types thing that says every discussion on the internet eventually winds up at Hitler because we begin to say that the person who disagrees with me is Hitler. Why do we do that? Because we live in an age that's not kind. That's why I would contend don't have discussions on the internet. Now, people do it and you're not going to listen to me, but don't do it. Why? Because they always end up not kind. Kindness means that I am going to be gentle and gracious with the beloved. Yeah, that's the person sitting on your row right now. We are to be kind. That's the person at that church down the street. Yeah, that church. We are called to be kind, but we're worried. We're worried that if I'm kind, people will walk all over me. And you know what? That is, in my opinion, why we don't like this chapter. If your only concern in life is making sure people don't walk all over you, you will not demonstrate love. You mean I'm supposed to let people walk all over me? No, just don't worry about them walking all over you. 
Let's back up a little bit. Jesus. In the earthly perspective, they beat the fool out of Jesus. They mocked him. They whipped him. They strapped him on a cross. And we talked about this when we went through the book of Mark. At any point in time, he, Jesus, could have said a few words, and here comes the legion of angels. Okay? And he didn't do that. Why? Because he was doing it for the beloved. Who are the beloved? You and me. Now, if Jesus had sat there the whole time thinking, I need to make sure that people know that I'm not being used. I need to make sure that I'm not being walked all over. Guess what? He wouldn't have done it. As we go through this list, somebody, you, me, are convinced that if I demonstrate this kind of love toward people, people are going to use me. And guess what? Maybe they will. Maybe they will. But we are called to demonstrate love. Now, I will contend that that's not mindless. Jesus did what needed to be done. When it came time to grab the whip and clean out the temple, he took care of business. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. What's the problem with envying and boasting with relationship to love? If I'm worried that the beloved has more stuff than I have, is more popular than I am, is better looking than I am, then I am going to not demonstrate love toward them. You know those people at that church down the street? They've got a better building than we have. How could they do that? That so-called Christian down the street from me drives a better car than I have. I hope he wrecks it. No, we're not going to say that, but we're going to be a little happy when it does. Envying and boasting destroys the love relationship. What should your response be when the beloved buys a new car? Wow, that's great. God has really blessed you. What should our experience be when the church down the street has a revival? Praise God. Thank you. Who do they think they are? And in case you wonder who they think they are, I'm going to tell you how great I am. I'm going to tell you how great I am so you don't think that I'm a nobody. Envying and boasting stands in the way of love. Is not arrogant or rude. What does it mean to be arrogant? Well, I know why y'all don't know the answer, because you're not as great as I am. <laughs> Isn't that it? Arrogance thinks that I am the better. Jesus, we are told, emptied himself. 
you know what? He was the better. And he was born with a bunch of cows and other creatures. Why? For the love of the beloved. Is not arrogant. It is not, it does not insist on its own way. That is the one that I've spent all week trying to figure out. And let me tell you why. In our postmodern age in which we live, in the, abs- in the absence of any absolute values of anything, there's really only two things in the world. There's my way and there's your way. And one of us is going to win, and one of us is going to lose. We're either going to do it my way, what I want, what I will, what I choose, or we're going to do it your way, what you want, you will, and you choose. And our entire life is a fight between my will and your will. What's the problem with that? There's another will. God has described certain things that we should and shouldn't do. And it is my job to discover his will and bring it into my life. Let's say you have a friend. And let's say they could be a believer. We're not judging this, but they could be. And they are addicted to drugs. And they come to you and they say, I need my drug. And you say, well, love says I'm not going to depend on my will. I'm going to do your will. So you want the drugs, I give you the drugs. No, you don't do that because you know that's not what is good for the beloved. It isn't just his opinion of what the will is, and your opinion about what the will is. It is God's opinion about what it takes to flourish as a human being. And that's what love pursues, both in our own life, righteousness, and in the lives of the beloved, and that is love. And that's hard. Because they're going to look you in the eye and say, why should I do it your way? Don't you love me? If you love me, why don't you do this for me? And we know that this for me is contrary to the will of God and is contrary to true human flourishing. And we don't give them what they want. Now, from our perspective giving them what they want may be the easiest thing to do. It really is. The hard thing to do is to demonstrate love to them and demonstrate God's will toward them. It is not irritable and resentful. Don't ask Teresa about irritable. 
we'll just skip over that one. <laughs> it does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Let me tell you a secret. That church down the street, they had a sex scandal. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> no. You see, we as good Protestants may under our breath, of course, chuckle to ourselves when the Catholics have a sex scandal. But then when the Southern Baptist, <clears throat> who I was raised and born and still call myself a Baptist, when the Southern Baptists get wrapped up in this, we go, oh, shoot. We don't ever rejoice in wrong. Why do we do that, though? Because we don't like that person, we envy them, and we appreciate them being put in their place. Woohoo! There's that Christian teacher I don't like, and he just ran off with the church secretary. Isn't that great? No. We, we don't realize how that reflects to the world on the Christian community. Now, the truth has to be exposed. We don't hide these things, but we don't rejoice in them. We don't rejoice in them. I heard a speaker one time talking about God used the Assyrians to chastise the uh, northern kingdom, the Jews, because they had turned against God, and then God chastised the Assyrians because they enjoyed it too much. And sometimes that's the way we are. We rejoice when those that disagree with us, those people who voted for, no, we're not going there. Those people who go to that, no, we're not. We rejoice when people are put in their place. But rather, we are to rejoice at the truth. Sometimes the truth is painful. Sometimes the truth is not what we want to hear. But we also know that God is the source of all truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. There's a lot of all things in that verse. Are you telling me that I have to believe everything that so-called Christian tells me? Actually, no, I'm not telling you that. Let me let you in on a little secret. I don't believe everything my mother tells me. Okay? <laughs> Just saying. But you know what? When I am demonstrating love toward a believer, it isn't my relationship with the brother that is driving this. It is my relationship with God. And regardless of the response, my relationship with God means I am going to bear all things. My relationship with God says I am going to continue to believe in God. Even if this individual who claims to be a believer, is lying to me through their teeth, I'm going to believe in God. I am going to continue to believe. 
You know what happens a lot of times? I have some believer, some so-called Christian, who robs me blind, and I get mad at God. Why? It's his fault. No, we live in a world of sinners, and believers are sinners, but I don't stop believing in God. Believe all things, hope all things, endures all things. Not because of them, but because of God. What did Jesus endure for us? A whole lot more than you will ever be called to endure. Ever. Now, I'm going to stop and put my statement in just so you make sure that you understand. We've had a discussion. We did this during uh, the book of Mark about the subject of divorce. And when we get to the subject of divorce, people want to talk about what if my spouse is beating me regularly? Am I supposed to sit here and say, I endure all things? And the answer to that is no. Okay? It's no. In the earthly sense, we do not have to put up with everything. But we're going to trust God to take care of us, even though that spouse is not doing what God would have them to do. We endure where God has put us, but we use the freedom that God has given us to step out of the way. We've talked about this with regard to the martyrs in the early church. In the early church, if the Roman grabbed you and said, do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? You have to say yes. Now, if you know the Roman is coming in that door, it's perfectly acceptable to run out that door. You don't have to sit here and endure it if God has given you that door over there. Just an aside. Love never ends. As for prophecy, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be passed away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly. What does that mean? It means that tomorrow... When you're supposed to love somebody, you may not truly understand how to do it. And you know what? Give it a shot anyway. But then face to face, now I know in part, then I shall know, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Next week, we will go back to 1 John and we will do the lesson that you thought I was going to do today. <laughs> Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the love that you have demonstrated toward us. I pray, Lord, that today we would show love to just one person. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.